Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. This is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You work for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, done a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and I am right here 17 blocks away from Madison Square Garden, right here in New York City. Now, we're going to talk about the new marijuana bill here in New York, morality and Mephistopheles. And we're going to start off with that one. That's right. I don't normally talk about Satan, but there are these Satan shoes that have really taken the uh, media by storm. Little Nas X, he's a country singing rapper, and he's released an unofficial pair of customized Nike Air Max shoes, uh, Air Max 97 sneakers that feature a drop of human blood inside of them. Little Nas X, his real name's Montero Lamar Hill, collaborated with New York streetwear company Mischief, and that's spelled M-S-C-H-F, to create and sell 666 pairs of Satan shoes made from Nike Air Max 97s. Now, this is bizarre, to say the least, but Nike is now suing... And saying, you know what? We're not involved. We're um, suing you for copyright infringement. The The shoes went on sale Monday. And the footwear includes a bronze pentagram, an inverted cross, and a drop of human blood mixed in with the ink. Now, one of the members of the MSCHF or Mischief team uh, said that it was them and the team, and the blood is included in the shoes bubble sole which has 60 cubic centimeters of red ink, which they inject in there, but there's a little blood in it in the air bubble of the Air Max. We love to sacrifice our uh, our art. We love to sacrifice our art, the MSCHF uh, spokesman told the New York Times, confirming that Nike was not involved in any capacity. But Nike's now hitting them back and they're suing with a trademark infringement lawsuit saying that this small marketing company released this customized pair of sneakers with satanic themes and whatnot in collaboration with Little Nas X to promote his new song where in the music video, he's sitting on Satan's lap or a character playing Satan and he's gyrating on his lap. Now, Little Nas X claims to be pansexual or bisexual or gay or something like that. And I I don't have all the facts because it's unclear in several of these reports. But the bottom line here is it looks like we have a morality issue on our hands. Now, we've had a morality issue for a long time. And to be fair, these guys had put out the Jesus shoe a while back. But this seems to be nothing more than a gimmick. And one of the marketing professors that they spoke with in the New York Times says that it's a gimmick. I agree with him 100%. I think that this is a gimmick. 
And I think he's right when he says they probably were smart to only do a run of 666 pairs because they're going to be left over with a lot if they ran a bigger run. So I think that's right. Now, these shoes are expected to be sold at $1,018, which, of course, is a reference to the Bible's Luke 10.18 verse, which reads, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, and that's emblazoned on the side of the sneaker. So obviously, this is getting a lot of uh, controversy as we headed into Holy Week. This was released on Palm Sunday, hitting uh, all the major media on Monday. And South Dakota, Christy Nome, the governor there, she um, she tweeted out, our kids are being told that this kind of product is not only okay, but it's exclusive. And she says the only thing that's really exclusive is their God-given soul. And of course, she cites um, a verse from um, the New Testament saying, what does it profit a man? to gain everything or gain the world, but lose his soul. And I think Governor Noam is right. And this is really the issue I think that's at hand overall is we're continually desensitizing our children. We're continually desensitizing the culture overall to just dismiss things that were once sacrosanct, right? Like um, God and, and what's all good things holy. These things were things you didn't joke around about. You didn't take them lightly. Now, it seems to be the joke of the town. It's the crux of, of the joke. It's, it's the butt of all jokes. And I got to tell you, I don't think this is a good thing at all. When you have kids now that are looking at saying, you know, I want to get the newest pair of Air Max, the Satan shoe edition that comes with a drop of human blood. This only continues to erode our culture or the morality and decency within our culture, which is very fleeting, if I might add. What we're really looking at here, I think, is the continued desensitization of our youth. And I hate to sound like like an old preacher, because I'm not. But I do think this is a tad too far. Of course there's self-expression. Of course there's the free market. If these guys want to make those shoes and people want to buy them, so be it. But of course there is morality that we ourselves must police from within ourselves. We have to look at these things and say, is this the example we want to set for the world? Because we've already made it taboo. I think two of the biggest lies you'll ever hear are, oh, you know what? You probably shouldn't talk about politics. Oh, you know what? You probably shouldn't talk about religion. Those are probably the two most important things you should talk about because they shape so much of what we do in our lives, they shape so much of how we live our lives. The world that we live in is shaped by the culture, politics, religion. These are the things that permeate our society. They permeate the culture. So, of course, if you're discouraged from getting into those topics, you're not going to have that conversation, that important conversation, that much-needed conversation. And that's probably why we've got so many teenagers that are becoming addicted to, to drugs more than ever. And we're going to get into that in the next segment. It's a big piece, and of all places, the New York Times. And something that I'm trying to do on the podcast is, of course, I use the most reliable news sources I can, and the New York Times is not one of them. But I want to highlight that when I can pull an article from the New York Times that talks about 
teenagers being vulnerable to marijuana uh, addiction or this piece that uh, Nike is suing this uh, Satan shoe company. I think it, it is indicative to me that we still have some barometer of what's right and wrong in life, even if the New York Times is the one that's going to weigh in on it and say, here's what's going on here. If they're not going to applaud it, then you know, if they think there's something wrong with it, if they think it's worth printing, you know, all the news that's fit to print, right? If they think it's worth printing, you got to think, man, these people are to the left of the New York Times. They're more liberal than the New York Times. Now, I'm not saying that they shouldn't be able to do what they're doing. Of course, I stand for liberty. But I'm telling you to stand for something. I tell you all the time, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And this is one of those things where our young people in America need us. There is a decay in the culture, in the morality of America that is continually fleeting. And these people, that the young people, the next generation, Y, X, Z, etc., millennials even, they're going to look back and say, how did depravity become so commonplace in our culture? How did what's wrong in life start to be so celebrated in our culture? Reagan spoke about this. Lincoln spoke about this, saying that what's taught in the classroom in this generation will be the politics of the next generation. Reagan informed Breitbart, and Breitbart said that politics flows downstream from culture. So now you have left-wing politics that are taking over America, left, right, and center. They're all over the place. Flowing from the culture. A culture where churches are succumbing to the left, succumbing to the most liberal aspects of society that we've seen in hundreds of years. This is where we are today. So I say, where is the church But when I say where is the church, I don't mean the institution. I don't mean the Presbyterian church or the Catholic church, although I do. I'm really talking about the church collectively, the people, those that believe in all things good and holy, those things that are followers of Christ as we go into this Holy Week. Where are we as a people of faith standing up for what we believe in, making our voices be heard, showing the culture and those within the culture, the Nikes of the world, the mischiefs of the world, the New York Timeses of the world, that we are here and that our voice matters. Where are we? Well, I'll tell you right now, I'm right here and I know that you guys are with me, so keep it locked right there. We are just getting started. More to come. We're going to talk about this new study that came out from the uh, NIH and from the Journal of American Medical uh, Association Pediatrics Edition They have a a new National Institute of Drug Abuse study on teens and young people overall that I think is worth looking at about marijuana as New York is looking at signing this new marijuana law. Plus, morality. Overall, I think morality is at stake. Morality is is, uh, under fire. And we're going to talk about that and all these horrific carjackings and murders that were done by teenagers in recent days. So don't move a muscle. Like I said, we're just getting started. I'm Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all the social media. Make sure you get us on Rumble, on Parler, 
on Instagram, of course, YouTube, all of the social media. We're at Rich Valdez with an S. And I want to hear from you. I do appreciate all of the wonderful shout outs that we get and the wonderful reviews. We just got two uh, or three new five star reviews. So I thank you for those. We'll be shouting out your names uh, in a little bit as soon as I can pull them up. And it's just great to know that you guys are listening and benefiting from the program. Really excited. Some of you have asked for merchandise and like uh, mugs and t-shirts and stuff like that. Uh, I believe we have something in the works for that coming up soon. So don't uh, hold me to that just yet. But if it is something you're interested in, either uh, drop a note at Rich Valdez on Twitter or drop us a note on richvaldez.com. The richvaldez.com is our website where we have all of our episodes. You can check out the archives and everything that I'm up to. So let us know there. You can just go to the contact us, send a message. Those go emailed to uh, Mr. Producer and me, and we get we take a look at them as often as we can. Now, New York City and New York State overall is going to join uh, 20 other states that have legalized marijuana. And this deal is almost complete. State lawmakers are reaching an agreement to legalize cannabis products in New York. The measure is being hailed by supporters as a big change for a state once known for its severe punishment of drug dealers. New York's drug policies have had, you know, a lot of... Uh, criticism in the past for being tied to the Rockefeller laws, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not going to bore you with all of that, but I do want to talk about how some people are saying this is the best thing ever. You know, it's fantastic. We want to have drugs for sale in New York and we want the communities of color to be the communities that receive the biggest benefit from the legalization of marijuana in New York State. Now, we saw this happen in the Midwest, in Chicago specifically, and in the suburbs of Chicago, where now they're talking about doing reparations, and we talked about that in a previous episode, and they're basing it off of marijuana sales revenues. My thinking here is there's more to this than we realize. You see, with alcohol, we have the ability to test for alcohol impairment, and it's not ideal. And I get it. There's arguments on both sides. I've heard them all forever and a day. And so many of our, my libertarian friends like to turn me off and start to hate me when I uh, don't jump on board with them immediately with the legalization of marijuana. Because, you know, after all, my body, my choice, right? That's the, uh, the going saying. But that's not my, my purpose here. My purpose here is to really talk about how it affects the future. If you're an old 50-something-year-old stoner, you, you likely know exactly what you're getting into. But there are people that are starting out their careers, starting out their lives, kids, 18, 19, 20, that can get themselves into a world of hurt if they don't do this right. Now, the new laws in New Jersey, and I'm guessing New York is going to probably parrot and mirror those laws, are designed to kind of uh, keep the parents out and keep the kids protected so that almost like they so that they can encourage them to smoke pot and drive. In effect, they're actually saying like in New Jersey, you can drive before you're a legal adult and cops over there, if you get pulled over in Jersey, they don't even have to tell your parents if they caught you with weed, even if you're a minor. Now, obviously, this is a flaw in the law or you could say, how stupid are you, Rich? It's not a flaw. They did it on purpose because they want to ruin our kids' minds. I believe that. I think that there's something to it. There's a lot of people that want a dumbed down society. If we look at the state's that have legalized marijuana, we've seen unemployment rates go up. We've seen um, obesity rates go up. So it, 
you can look at those two and not necessarily as isolated incidents, but I think there is some correlation. And again, I'm not a statistician, so you can argue it. But it seems that this is not good for society. There seems to be no net positive on society to have kids highest kites, especially with the New York stuff that we're hearing. I mean, you can have up to six plants in your house. And what's interesting, in, at least in my opinion, is that the weed now is, this is not Woodstock weed. This is not the backyard boogie that a lot of people are used to. Today, marijuana is 50 times more potent than it was during Woodstock. And there's all sorts of types of marijuana and there's, um, there's these concentrates that make it stronger. So THC is definitely the, the product that's on the market. CBD has been legalized in a lot of places. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the THC in the marijuana plant, uh, growing plants for personal use. And you can have up to, um, what's that? Six, half a dozen plants for personal use. But anyway, that's what's happening in New Jersey and in New York. And there's a piece in the New York Times that I want to get to. But before I do, I want to finish this thought here um, with respect to legalizing cannabis in New York. And there's a lot of advocates for this. Now, one one, um, advocate says that this is a major nail in the coffin of the drug war policies, saying that, you know, now we're going to stop putting people in jail unnecessarily. Mass incarceration now ends because weed is legal. This is somehow the panacea of everything good and holy is to legalize pot. Then you have opponents like Kevin Sabit uh, from the group Smart Approaches to Marijuana, or SAM. Now, they're considering their next steps after the deal was struck in New York and a bill could be voted on as early as this week. And he says, we're regrouping now with the PTA, within the medical society, with hospitals, and other groups to see what can be done. I don't think public health challenges have spelled out well enough, uh, at least by the proponents, what and how they're going to do to deal with this. State lawmakers in 2019 moved a decriminalization measure through the legislature after the broader legalization bill failed to gain support. Sabit's group supported that measure, and he argues a full legalization of marijuana does little to fulfill the stated goal of aiding communities that are affected by the war on drugs saying we had decriminalization that was really the de-escalation major investors in new york are so thrilled by this because they're going to make a lot of money and the rest of us are going to be left out in the cold especially vulnerable communities of color now i think dr sabit is a smart guy he served both republican and democrat presidents of the united states uh as an advisor to the uh national office of drug control policy the ondcp he's a smart guy phd uh for all i know he's a liberal democrat you know i don't know him to be a conservative or a republican or a christian or anything like that i do know that he's a common sense guy when it comes to this stuff and this is an area where i think we agree But what I want to bring up is this point here in the New York Times, because to me, this is the bigger point. Headline, and this is uh, March 29th, 2021, New York Times. Teenage brains may especially be vulnerable to marijuana and other drugs. Adolescents and teenagers who experiment with marijuana and prescription drugs are more likely to get hooked on them than young people who try these drugs for the first time when they are college-aged or older. 
So meaning if you're 13 or 14 and you start doing this crazy stuff, uh, and again, it's crazy stuff today because there's K2, there's all sorts of different types of weed that weren't around 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. So, you know, I, I know of one personal story of somebody that I know, a young lady that was given so much K2 that she had to go to the hospital and she had this OD and it was terrible. She was in really bad shape. This 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 wasn't the sort of thing that really happened when people were smoking grass in the 60s when free love was a thing. So, I mean, to, to compare the two, and if you're 55 years old right now and you're like, oh, Rich, come on, let them smoke their grass, this isn't the same thing. But research suggests that young people may particularly be vulnerable to the intoxicating effects of certain drugs and that early exposure might prime their brains to desire them all that more often. The findings have implications for public health policymakers who in recent years have called for the increased screening and preventive measures to reverse a sharp rise in marijuana vaping amongst teenagers. The new study published in the um, Journal of American Medicine Pediatrics and led by a team of scientists and physicians at the National Institute on Drug Abuse, which is part of the NIH, National Institutes on Health, sought to gain a better understanding of how adolescent brains respond to a variety of recreational drugs. Previous research suggested that early exposure to marijuana, nicotine, and alcohol might lead to faster development of substance abuse disorders. That makes sense so far. I think that's pretty straightforward. But the new analysis cast a wider net, looking into the effects of nine different drugs, including opioid painkillers, stimulants, marijuana, alcohol, cigarettes, cocaine, heroin, methamphetamine, and tranquilizers. The Get Well Family newsletter cited that some of these issues, including kids' health, homework, adolescent development, college relationships, and more, and researchers found that the data from the government's National Survey on Drug Use and Health closely watched an annual study that tracks substance abuse and mental health issues among Americans. This new research focused on two age groups, adolescents between the ages of 12 and 17, and young adults ages 18 to 25. I happen to have kids in each of these groups, so I find this of particular interest. And if you do too, pay attention, because this is interesting. Alcohol was by far the most commonly used substance in both groups. A quarter of adolescents and 80% of young adults said they had used it. About half of young adults said that they tried cannabis or tobacco. But among adolescents, that number was smaller. Roughly 15% said they experimented with cannabis and 13% said they tried tobacco. Now, most troubling to the authors of the new study was how many people went on to develop substance abuse disorders indicating that their experimentation had spiraled into an addiction. The researchers found that within a year of first trying marijuana, 11% of adolescents had become addicted to it, compared to 6.4% of young adults. Even more striking was that within three years of first trying the drug, 20% of adolescents became dependent on it, almost double the number of young adults. So if you're paying attention... This is the same drug that everybody said, oh, you can't get hooked on that. Oh, there's no, uh, there's no proof to show that marijuana is habit forming and this and that. Bro, it causes psychosis. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site. 
out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500, or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC, we are professional grade. It gets you high. It's a psychotropic drug. For some people, it may be more mild, but for others, it is. There's a reason that this is federally banned. It's not just because we want to stop people from having a good time. Adolescents who tried the prescription drugs were also more likely to become addicted. About 14% of adolescents who took prescription stimulants for recreational use, so you're talking about Adderall and things like that, went on to develop a substance abuse disorder within a year compared to just 4% of young adults. While 7% of young adults who tried opioid painkillers became addicted soon after taking them, the figure rose to 11.2% among, amongst younger users. And these things go on and on and on. And I'll read a little bit more of it. But the point I'm making is, if you try this stuff for the first time when you're young, your likelihood of becoming dependent upon it, becoming an addict, and developing a, 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 a substance abuse disorder is so much higher than if you wait till college. So in effect, this is the abstinence argument all over again, that abstinence works. If you abstain from doing it, you never try it, you'll never miss it. You use that philosophy, it'll get you through your, your teenage years a lot better and perhaps even your young adulthood even better. And this is the New York Times, biggest left-wing rag out there besides the Washington Post. Now, Dr. Nora Volkow, she's a senior author for the study and director of the National Institutes on Drug Abuse, said it's known that cannabis and other drugs can have a potent effect on adolescent brains because they're still developing. Younger brains exhibit greater plasticity or ability to change than relatively static brains of older individuals. It means you can get brainwashed and become an addict that much easier if you do this, you know, in your teenagers. As a result, drugs like cannabis are more likely to alter uh, synaptic connections in younger brains, leading to stronger memories of pleasure and reward, and that's what creates the addiction. Now, it goes on and on. I'm not going to read the whole thing, uh, but I did find it extremely interesting. And Dr. Kevin Sabit, he was on with John Katsimatidis on the Cats Roundtable on WABC Radio over the weekend, and he had a couple of interesting points that I want you to hear. Check this out. Look, uh, today's marijuana is so much more potent than it used to be. It's up to 99% pure, which is 50 times stronger than anything at Woodstock. It reduces your IQ by eight points. A big study is coming out by the head of NIH uh, for drugs, which is called the National Institute on Drug Abuse. Essentially, uh, you know, it's going to show the addictive properties of marijuana in a way that we've never seen before. So, we're learning more and more about the harms, and anybody who wants to legalize it either isn't re reading the research or they're going to profit from it themselves. The drop in the bucket, the revenue compared to the overall budget in any state that's done this is less than 1%. And you have to talk about the harms, the costs as well. Uh, look at the cost. There's costs from driving. Driving is a huge issue. We can't really know the pure cost of that. It's going to be a lot. Kids, kids' brains dropping out of school. Mental health. Well, you have problems. twelve years old, twelve year olds, fourteen, twelve year olds, fourteen year olds, sixteen years old. You're gonna really dumb down yeah. those kids. 
Well, that's what it's doing uh, because it, that's exactly what it does. THC, the active ingredient, it binds to receptors in the brain that have to do with cognition and intelligence and learning and memory. It, it is dumbing down. And I can tell you, we're not seeing the, the push for marijuana in places like China and India that are really, really valuing education and the future of their kids. So I, I don't know what we're doing here. It's really a bad idea. And we already know who is benefiting from legalization. It's big tobacco, big alcohol. Uh, you know, these big business uh, interests that have made money from our kids and other things in the past. It's basically sending the message that it's okay. I, I just wrote a book. It's going to come out April 20th called Smokescreen, What the Marijuana Industry Doesn't Want You to Know. And it's coming out 420. You can pre-order it now. But I have interviews with people all over the country who have regulated marijuana and tried to do it well. It didn't work out. I have lab owners who say, you have no idea what's in any of this stuff. I have kids who talk about their addiction. I actually talked to a, a New York City um, a woman and her daughter who was given, quote unquote, medical marijuana. It made her psychotic uh, and she's just getting over it now. So it's just it, it's so problematic. And, and this is why every major medical group in the country is in favor of not doing this. And so the politicians are going against science. They're going against common sense and they're going against our kids. So bottom line here is Keep your kids away from this. And if your teenager's listening to me, wait. If you're using pot now, stop using it. Clearly, this is not the ideal way to go. Hate to sound like a party pooper or like a square, but America needs you right now more than she's ever needed you before. And we need you clear-headed and sober-minded, not on cloud nine. Now, keep it locked right there because straight ahead, we're going to talk about morality and what's going on. Teenagers, speaking of teenagers, 13, 14, 15 That's the ages, or those are the ages, of the murderers and carjackers of the last four or five days of mayhem that went on in Washington, D.C. You're not going to believe this stuff. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the video. We're going to play you some audio. It's absolutely disgusting. It's horrific, and it's really sad. Keep it locked right there. I am Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. All right, what's up, America? Bienvenido. Welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, 17 blocks away from Madison Square Garden. And that's right, I am your liberty-loving Latino amigo, El Conservador, the voice of Hispanic conservatives, the voice of This Is America, because that's me and I'm the only guy here. Anyway, thank you. Welcome, welcome back. I'm at Rich Valdez on Twitter and social media and all of that. And give us a follow because we try to keep in touch with you when we're not on the air and keep you up to speed on what's going on. Plus, follow the Rumble channel if you can. That would be great. We're going to be putting more video up there. And if you get a chance, just uh, shoot me a tweet or send an inbox message or one of those things. Let us know if you're interested in seeing this on video. We've been getting a lot of messages saying, put the show on YouTube, put the show on Rumble. We want a video component. I thought, hey, I got into radio so that you wouldn't have to look at me, but if that is something that you're interested in and video is a big part of your consumption, let me know. I'd love to know. And uh, thank you also for keeping us in that top 200 um, chart, the Apple News Politics chart. Very grateful for that. Grateful for the reviews. Thank you for those as well. And, you know, last couple of days, last week we had these fatal carjackings in, uh, at least one was fatal, several carjackings in Washington, D.C. And the assailants, young, young as hell. One Uber Eats driver was killed. Now, this is particularly disturbing to me because when I saw this, it really 
broke my heart. It really hurt my soul. And I hate to sound dramatic, but it really did because this you could tell this was a nice, innocent man just standing up for what was right. It was his car. And these two hood rat, thug, Cardi B wannabes. And this is, I'm not blaming Cardi B for this. Cardi B is over-sexualized and sensationalized. These people weren't trying to dance on a pole. These people were trying to rob somebody and they murdered somebody. And it's horrible. But four teenage boys have been arrested for carjackings in Washington, D.C. After a similar incident led to the death of an Uber Eats driver just uh, right before the weekend. This could be the most disturbing trend I've seen in a long time. Now, on Saturday, cops busted two 13-year-old boys for back-to-back armed carjackings. This happened just days after two teenage girls were charged with murdering the Uber driver. And this is according to the uh, Washington, D.C. Metro Police Department press release. During the first carjacking, one of the teens allegedly whipped out a handgun and demanded that the victim get out of their car before fleeing. And then, just over an hour later, the same teenagers allegedly struck again pulling the same move in a nearby northwest section of the city at around 8.40 p.m., and this is according to the New York Post, Natalie O'Neill. This is sick. On Thursday, two different boys, ages 13 and 14, were also arrested in the city for an armed carjacking. In that case, one of the thieves opened a car door and assaulted a victim while another one pulled a knife. Cops said that they tracked the teens down and recovered the car. Now. Wednesday, two teenage girls were charged with the murder and the ruthless killing of an Uber Eats driver. They assaulted him with a stun gun after doing another carjacking earlier in the city. These girls were ages 13 and 15, and they attacked a guy, Mohammed Anwar, who was driving near the Nationals Park in the southeast section of D.C. Now, I saw this video I got to tell you, I was stunned. It looked fake to me. You see this girl, from the video I saw, the guy's like, yo, they're stealing. The guy who's shooting the video on his cell phone, he's saying out loud, they're stealing his car. They're stealing his car. And you see the guy, Mr. Anwar, 66 years old, and he's telling them, this is my car. This is my car. And he's struggling. He's got the door open. He's in the driver's seat. He's like halfway out of the car. So it looks like one girl had gotten by him, was trying to put the, the, the shift into gear so she could peel out, and he was like stopping her. I don't know if he had a foot on the brake or he was pushing her or whatever. Her friend with the stun gun was in the uh, passenger seat. And these two 13- and 15-year-old girls are wrestling at least the one girl's wrestling with this man. And obviously, I'm thinking he's being nice. He's not taking them that seriously. He's like, you know, stop, stop. This is my car. You're a thief. You're a thief. This is my car. And then they get it in gear and they pull out. And then you hear, and then you hear again. And each of those thumps that you heard was him hanging off the side of the car, hitting lamp posts as they peeled out down the block and then flipped the car and he was ejected from the car. Listen to this. Oh, 
My God. So now you've got these National Guard guys, those guys you just heard. These are the guys saying, you know, they're helping the girls that just killed this guy. They're helping them out of the car that's on its side. The guy with the phone ran down the block and he's still telling them they just stole the car. Those are the bad guys. This poor man. I don't I don't want you to watch this video because it's heartbreaking. But I did share it a couple of days ago on my social media. If you want to scroll down and find it, you can. It's in a New York Post article. It's very graphic. And this poor man is bent and broken like a pretzel on the ground and he's still alive. He's twitching. Looks like he's convulsing. And these National Guard guys don't do anything to help him. They go and they help the bad guy girls, the criminal girls, the carjackers. They get them out of the car and then they clear the area saying, hey, there's gasoline coming out of the car. Everybody clear the area except for the one guy who ultimately dies. And it begs the question to me, what the hell are you guarding, National Guard? And I hate to question any of our men and women in uniform. But my God, that guy was the victim. He was totally innocent. He was trying to work. Uber Eats. I mean, how much more innocuous can it be? What an honest line of work. And this poor guy, he gets killed by these girls. He gets ejected from the car. And all I can do is think about what the hell is going on with morality? Is it because these kids are addicted and they're desensitized and their brains don't work anymore because they're smoking so much pot? Because they're drinking Sprite and codeine, lean, whatever that is, scissor. I don't know anymore. But I can tell you when I was 13 and 15, that didn't happen. We didn't do stupid things like that. I did have friends that did armed robberies when I was in high school, but we were already 17 years old. Not that it makes it much different, but 13 years old, the last thing we were thinking about was stealing somebody's car while they were in it. Absolute insanity. To me, this is, again, the, uh, the decay of morality in our culture, and not just our culture, not just in America. I mean, there are people all over the world. Right now, I'm looking at a piece from The Standard, standardmedia.com. This is a, a Kenyan website. Headline, no way, professor. A strong stand for morality in society is not stupid. Now, this is one professor arguing with another based on he's saying that if you don't 
accept some of the changes that are in our culture right now, um, transgender move, LGBT movement, all of that stuff, that you're an idiot. And the other guy's arguing that it's not the case. I'm going to give you a little bit of this. Now, this is an attempt to respond to Professor Macau Matua. He's a self-appointed lecturer on matters of the other side of public morality and everything queer. And the article says he's armed with the gift of gab and the good professor's often taken space and time to advocate for repugnant things and defend the indefensible. In his article, In Praise of Homosexuals and Homosexuality, the good professor mounts a pedestal with very high praise of progressive enlightenment and saying those who don't share his views are stupid and or fools, quote unquote. According to Macau, quote, you have to be inhumane and an idiot to not accept homosexuality as normal and natural. Now, in his view, it's because we often act like damn fools. That's a quote again from him and believe many things without, again, without thinking or subjecting them to the rigor of intellect. Now, that's a part, one part, that one sentence. I do think that we oftentimes believe things without thinking or subjecting them to the rigor of our intellect. I believe that. Unfortunately, using this kind of language, Macau not only undermines his own professorship, but seriously negates the concept of freedom of thought, heterodoxy, basically, that he so strongly attempts to advocate for. Now, the author of this, Mr. Oginde, he says, with all due respect to him, his arguments, although lofty, were neither deep nor pithy. For example, in his attempt to defend homosexuality, Macau makes three words somewhat liberal, but without any discernible consideration for their conceptual meaning or their application. The words are natural, normal, and phobia. And when used in context, in particular the context of homosexuality, these words require etymological, etymological analysis. In plain language, the word natural literally means existing in or derived from nature. Therefore, it can be said that human beings can be described as natural when they're described as talking. Moreover, a person who's able to speak is not surprising. It's natural. However, if a person is not able to speak, then we can say it's unnatural, even if they're born that way. We accept it as a form of disability. Such as a plain meaning like the word natural, readily understood by most unschooled people, but equally supported by great philosophers such as Aristotle. Of course, Mr. Otunde says he's acutely aware of the convoluted attempts by contemporary scientists and philosophers to replace such classical and teleological and normative meanings with modern mechanistic and non-normative uses of the term. As such, its expanded definition has been cleverly used not only to bring homosexuality into the realm of the natural, but also to fight for its propagation and acceptance. So he's saying that they're prostituting the word natural. I get it. Then he goes on to say that the same thing happens with the word normal, simply defined as, you know, conforming, typical. And then he says that, you know, for journalists, when a dog bites a man, it's not news. It's normal. But when a man bites a dog, it is news. It's not normal. I get it. So he's making the case of what normal is versus what normal isn't. That could be simple enough. Likewise, two people, a man and a woman, kissing on the streets of New York is normal. Conversely, 
a man and a man or, or two women kissing is not as normal. It's what the case he's making. Discomfort, if not disgust, is what comes from a situation like that, according to this gentleman, because the new moralists may want to push it, but it's simply not normal. And I think he's making the case for how people are taking over language. Language has been hijacked by the left, by different people that want to go in a different area. Thirdly, he says phobia. Phobia derives its meaning from the ancient Greek word phobos, which basically means fear. It's defined as an anxiety disorder characterized by extreme or irrational fear. Therefore, a lot of people who are really good people have serious phobias for darkness or heights. We can't call these people fools or idiots or stupid. It has nothing to do with their intellectual capacity. Interestingly, however, the term homophobia was introduced by psychologist George Weinberg, George Weinberg in the 1960s, acquiring a totally different meaning, such as prejudice against or hatred for homosexuals, not a fear of. And this we find that these words, natural, normal, and phobia, have become the th three cornerstones of how the left has taken over absolutely everything in modern-day language. Now, what's interesting is, I was watching the Blaze TV, and one of the things that I saw on the Blaze TV was uh, a girl, I think her name was Lauren Chen, and she was making an example about how you could say that there are drownings that have gone up, and you can also say that ice cream consumption has gone up and that you could suggest that there is a correlation between the consumption of ice cream and drowning. And that would be true in effect that both of those statistics are true, but it's the correlation that's not necessarily true. It's a lie. It's false. It's farcical. And the reason being is because the third variant there is summertime. The reason that ice cream consumption is up is because it's summer. And the reason that drowning is up is because it's summer and people are at the beach more. But one thing that's not tying them together is that ice cream has nothing to do with drowning. Irrespective of the fact that both of these things have increased because it's summertime. So this is why I always say we have to stand for something because if we stand for nothing, we'll fall for anything. And we've got to do something. We have to take action, right? That was Hamilton. Lord Acton and Sir Edmund Burke and others say the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to stand there and do absolutely nothing. So do something and know your stuff. Read stuff so that you can be smart and don't get fooled. And don't smoke pot. <laughs> <laughs> and you know where that one's coming from. Anyway, hasta la próxima, America. Until next time, I am Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade.